three, two, one. All right, so we're live now. Last week, I did the review on my own, but this week I have Bob Cool at Bob Cool, right? On eToro. Yes, yes. Yeah, that's, cool. that's so we're going to go through the price action and then we get to market breadth and then relative rotation. And then you have three stocks we're going to talk about. Okay. So st starting with price action, right? So this is Bitcoin. And okay. since last week, or not even last week, since the, since the 30th of April, Bitcoin has been in this, let me get rid of this, in this um, consolidation, this range. Okay. Has done absolutely nothing. Do, do you trade Bitcoin at all? No, I don't know. I, don't, I, I used to months ago, but not, not now. All right. So there's, when you see a chart like this, there's not really much to talk about, right? All you have to do. <laughs> because if you look at this small range here, this range here, the, the relative change there is about 3%. Yeah. Okay, so within a period of, uh, from 26th of June to today, Bitcoin has only moved up and down about plus or minus 3%. Yeah, that is just zero volatility there. So there's, there's nothing to do but wait, unless you're trading short time frames. If you're trading short time frames, then you can buy here, sell here. Uh -huh. But this period here, you see that? There's nothing, <laughs> absolutely nothing there. Uh -huh. Absolutely nothing there. Now, the story is almost the same when you get down to the US dollar index. Do you trade this? No, no. So you're, you are strictly a stock trader? I'm strictly a stock. I'm wow. Trader. Okay, the reason I trade this US dollar index is because I like Forex, but Forex involves trading one currency against another. Mm -hmm. So you need to monitor what's happening in one currency. It has its mm -hmm. central bank, it has its meetings, it has its... Uh, fundamental indicators and then you have this other currency so monitoring both of them is just too much work so for me it's just more convenient to trade the u.s dollar index which is an index of several currencies against the dollar so this is also in this range price is consolidating it was a downtrend and then found a bottom here bounced got to the top of this channel and it's been there ever since. But now, price is forming a double bottom here. Okay. And if you look down at the RSI here, RSI is trending upwards. Okay. Price is flat. So there is some sort of bullish divergence there. Okay. Yeah, ideally you want price and the RSI to have the same uh, orientation. Okay. But when there's a difference, it means maybe the RSI is signaling that price is about to turn upwards, something like that. Okay. okay. So I wouldn't, another thing to, to look at here is we're far below the 200 day moving average. So there could be a reversion to the mean up there and then possibly break out above this cloud. That's Ichimoku, Ichimoku cloud. And then there could be an upside. But the reason I prefer stocks is because with stocks, you have all the information you need about the market and the stock. Yeah. With the US dollar, it's, it's strictly fundamentals. 
and mm-hmm. that's not so easy to analyze to, to analyze and get details on mm-hmm. so with this if, if i had spare cash i don't have spare cash i'm totally maxed okay. out in my portfolio now if i had spare cash i'll i'll buy i'll buy hoping to sell at the top of this range yep that's next one is crude oil crude oil is completely flat uh, yeah around 39 40 yes 40 dollar range yeah it's been stuck there look at this that's how many that's like two weeks hmm. just like bitcoin there's there's really no volatility in the market anywhere okay. Okay. so but this is clearly in an uptrend so you have this low here yeah you have this it's low here about about um, twelve dollars, deep slightly under ten dollars. About yes, okay. yes. Okay. I remember that with oil. Yeah, yeah. This is a spot price. the The futures contract actually went to negative forty or something like that. Yes. Yeah. So you have a low here. You have a higher low, and a higher high. You have another higher high, and a higher low, and then you have another higher low and a higher high, and then when you get to the fifth of June. You now have higher lows, but the highs remain the same. Okay. And then you have another higher low, high remains the same. So that is shaping up into a, uh, what is called an ascending triangle. Okay. Yeah, if you draw a line from here, you see that is an ascending triangle. So this ascending triangle, should break out upwards. But the 200 day moving average is a very, uh, very well watched resistance level. So, but you know, oil depends on fundamentals, really. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What's happening with OPEC, what's happening with inventories. Yes. And another thing that needs to be watched with oil is you need to watch the futures contract. And in the futures contract, open interest is currently trending downwards. That's the amount of contracts available and price is trending upwards. Okay. So, so what this is saying is... The demand and supply thing. Always. Yeah, exactly. So this open interest is not confirming this uptrend. So what usually happens when price is rising and open interest is falling is it's a signal of a reversal so this might reverse down okay yeah but at the same time if you look at just chart patterns you have an <laughs> you have a bullish pattern there okay so very very difficult to trade how how do you you assess this thing if you were you think you should recommend, which we don't do, right? So we don't recommend it, but how will you care on what side? You, your guess, well, your best guess. Well, if you, if you want to take risks, <laughs> you will have to choose which of these signals do you think is strongest. Initially, I had a buy position here. Okay. I, had, I had a buy position because I looked at the price of oil and I asked myself one question. Is oil cheap right now? To me, $40 looks cheap. Mm-hmm. So 
I put in a buy position. It's not very cheap. It was cheaper at $9, mm-hmm. but $40 compared to if I switch to the monthly chart. Okay, this is the monthly chart now. Price is, this is where price is. Let me draw a line here. Let me drag this up, move this here. Okay, this is where price is. Price is here, that pink line. So we spent several years underneath $40. But you see, this is the first Gulf War. 1990 price spiked up got to 40 dollars and then it retraced then went down and then 1999 went up and then came back got to around 40 came back down then spiked up again down and then broke through and then in 2000 um during the great financial crisis when everything was crashing price also crashed for oil and it got to 40 where it found the bottom and then if you look here again, it crashed down somewhere around 40, but fell below 40. And now we're at 40. So that 40 is a very important level in the price of oil. So it's possible we, our price will initially drop down and then finally break out. Because that level is very important. Okay. So when I looked at that, and then I looked at the open interest. So all open interest was telling me is a lot of traders in the futures contract are respecting that $40 resistance level. So the interest in contracts is declining. Okay. So price might fall. But if you go strictly by chart patterns, this is looking like a bullish pattern. So, sorry, go ahead. Sorry. so when I saw, when I looked at that pattern and I looked at all the other um, indicators, I felt the, the, bearish, the bearish case was stronger than the bullish case. Okay. So I just took, I closed my position in a small profit and you know what, it's better to be, to, to be in cash than to be in a position where you're not very, uh, comfortable. Well, the free capital protection is the number one rule in the, in the, in the, when you're deploying capital, actually. Yeah, of course. Beyond profit. So yeah. Of course. So I, I am more comfortable not being in a position than being in a longer short position. Oh. Yeah. So in a situation like this, it's better to just get out of the market. So what you ideally, what you want ideally is you want to see a bullish indication in your open interest and you want that to correspond with this bullish chart pattern so that gives you the confidence to go in okay yeah so for me i'll just stay away from this okay can, can i can i take you back a little bit just yeah a bit to um, um i know a lot of countries on oil um, what we hear a lot of countries were stockpiling when it was really cheap and because there were people also pointed to run out of storage facilities, the global consumption wasn't very high, it wasn't as high as, as what was introduced. I know there's an OPEC meeting this new week, the next week or so of some sort. 
sorry, I know, sorry, I know there's an OPEC meeting next week, yeah. um, in some way, and um, so, and I know that a lot of countries were stockpiling when it was really cheap and up to a point. Uh, so, does that factor into all of this? Do we think? Oh, yeah. And it's and it's summer again, so maybe all consumption is not as high as when it's winter when we're all using heating and everything. So, are those factors? Yeah, those are those are the fundamentals. So if you want to trade oil, you need to monitor those fundamentals. Okay. China was stockpiling oil, but you need to also realize that the, the economy is opening up. That's yes. pretty much opened up in, the, in Europe. In, I, saw, I, saw. I, I saw a news article today that the UK government will, uh, will ask or will withdraw the lockdown guidance for companies that is their workers can now go back to the offices correct so the economy is opening up so there is going to be demand for oil people will need to drive so demand is increasing or will increase so there's so much to consider when you're trading oil because it's such a such a very important commodity that i the the data is so overwhelming and sometimes you can't find all the data as an individual investor, okay? You're not working for a hedge fund or an investment bank. So it's hard to keep up with everything. So I just, okay. I just stay away. Yeah, it makes sense. It makes yeah. sense. I agree with you. There's so much going on that you need to monitor and you don't have the resources to monitor all of them. Mm. So okay. if you just okay. if you go into it, your, most, your, your, your decisions will be... 60% analysis, 40% gambling, and that's not good enough. Yeah. The question, if we go back to Bitcoin, similar to what everything I've just said now, I know gold used to be in a particular way, which I, but I think I saw recent analysis on gold, and it sort of looks a little similar to what Bitcoin has done in some ways, I hear. So going back to Bitcoin, I thought people were running, sometimes they'd run away from the normal stock market, and maybe some, sometimes put a little bit into Bitcoin as a safe haven, like gold has been over the years. Um, so I was, I'm a bit, a bit surprised that, except like you said, maybe there's been no volatility in general everywhere. And maybe everybody just sitting and seeing what, what will happen over the next few months before deploying capital. So maybe that lack of volatility or volume in both the normal stock market uh, and uh, is spilling over into things like gold or things like bitcoin that people saw as safe havens or thought were alternatives to the the normal systems. Yeah, there's a there's a general lack of volatility. Okay, you, find, you see that in bitcoin. Um, the U.S. dollar was volatile for some time, but you see it's flat now. Mm. Oil is flat. Gold is flat, but it has broken out. The stock market is flat. So there's a general lack of volatility. Bitcoin was supposed to be a safe haven amongst other things. And then, sorry, and then in, in March, this happened. And then everybody realized, oh, Bitcoin is not a safe haven like it should be. Mm. When the financial market is crashing, you would expect, all right, this is a time for Bitcoin to shine, and it didn't. It also, it also crashed. So the problem, there was, a, there was something I heard which is very, very important. When, 
when gold, when an ETF was created for gold, yeah. a lot of people were happy. But it became a problem because gold became a financial asset. It became financialized. It became part of the financial market and the industry. So the problem with that is the price of gold may no longer be dependent on the actual gold bars. It's now dependent on what investors in Wall Street are betting on. Mm. So that's the problem with an asset or a commodity becoming mainstream. So Bitcoin initially was a fringe asset. And over time, it was gradually becoming mainstream, mainstream. Some people were clamoring for an ETF for Bitcoin. So now that Bitcoin is more mainstream than it used to be in the past, it means when the stock market is crashing and people are having margin calls, then they have to withdraw their money from Bitcoin. To satisfy. Yes. So that's the problem with assets becoming mainstream. So I wouldn't say... Bitcoin is a safe haven. And for some time, Bitcoin has been correlated with SPY. Mm. Yeah, I can actually, not, it's not a very strong correlation, but let me pull it up for you so you can see. Let me pull up the correlation coefficient of Bitcoin to SPY. Bitcoin should not be correlated with the stock market. Mm. It should not. But look at the correlation right now. Okay, correlation is 0.23. Okay, you don't want that sort of correlation. So this is the current value there. But at some point, see this point here? See this Mm. point here? Correlation was 0.7. So it means Bitcoin was moving in lockstep with the stock market. Okay. And that was during that... um, that's due to this um, lack of volatility. And if you, if you zoom out, you zoom out or zoom in, I don't know which one it is. <laughs> yeah, you'll see that there are some periods when the correlation is so strong. Mm. So that happened here during the crash. And that's what you see here. So sometimes it becomes correlated. It's not really a safe haven like most people want it to be. Okay. It's, not, it's not really a safe haven. So when, when you look at the data like this, it's the evidence. It's oh yeah, you have to look at the data. You don't just one gets a bit more understanding as to what's really going on. What not what people want to. Yeah, people want something, but it might not be reality. Mm. Yeah, you have to look at the data, man. Okay. So next one is gold. If you look at the long-term chart of gold, you see from the bottom here, wedge broke out, bull flagged, broke out, formed another wedge, broke out, consolidated here, broke out, and then crashed. And then it rebounded into this patch here. So for like two months, Gold was just consolidating, you know, gathering momentum okay. in that channel there. And then on the 22nd of June, it broke out. So if you look closely again, so this is a, here is another period of no volatility at all. Yes. But if you look closely now, 
you will see that you have this uptrend. Now price is consolidating again. So what this is called is this is a this is called a measured move up. It's okay. a so if you look at the encyclopedia of um, chart patterns, yeah. Let me pull that up. This is a very for people who like chart patterns. This is a very useful uh, resource. Uh, not can this is candlestick. I'm looking for index of chart patterns. No, not this visual index, peak index. Yeah. That formation in gold is a classic pattern called measured move up. So you see okay. a period of uptrend and then a corrective phase where it's just flat and then you have a second leg. That's what gold is doing here. Okay. Let me take this away. Let me remove all of this. Right. So that's what gold is doing here. If you want to look at the big, if you look at the yeah. big picture, that's uptrend, corrective phase, and then uptrend. If you look at the small picture, you have uptrend, corrective phase, and uptrend. So now might be a good time to buy. That doesn't mean price can't go down. It can still go down. Yeah, you wanted to say something. No, I was going to say, I was just saying thanks for comparing that. So. I know there's been this thing around gold and two thousand dollars being the almost holy grail, <laughs> or just around that. A lot of people have been. There's been so much talk for many years about gold hitting. People actually, people actually think gold, the real value of gold per ounce is close to three thousand, and that they think it will achieve that between the next three to five years, based on what their belief and some other things in the commodity. Um, but yeah, so I know it's approaching that now and, and um, it's been a little bit of a struggle to get there for. Aren't those people, uh, the people called gold bugs, that is, doesn't matter what's happening to them, gold is going up. They have this, they have this arbitrary value in their minds that gold is heading to. So is it based on analysis or? Well, for some of them it is. They okay. Say. But so they believe that gold is being exactly so in a way what you said manipulated at the moment to keep it at what it is now. So because I guess because it's more part of the financial system than it used to be um, many years. Ago. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. So, which makes sense in, to a degree, but I mean you don't want to be part of a system that doesn't have any measure of control or or input into what really goes on. And right. We know, the, we know the financial sector; they don't. People are not taking bets or gambles just for to see. Oh, well, let's see what happens. So they sort of almost they sort of have an idea what they might want to happen, you know. And it's not, it's not going to be based on speculation. So. Okay, uh, That's I think true. Bitcoin, Bitcoin might go that way as well. With oh yeah, of course, might go down, might so go up. Nobody all, knows. The big, all the big banks are, are starting are investing in Bitcoin now, and at some point, like you said, maybe we might have an ETF or some. We have some of those. It's becoming mainstream, mm -hmm. right? So that's gold. Gold, gold looks like it wants it wants to head up. Mm. Yeah. So that could be a a bad sign for the stock market. Yes, <laughs> usually. Right. So this is the small caps in the stock market. Mm -hmm. Small caps have been struggling lately. Mm -hmm. So. 
small caps, there is there was this region here found it was resistance, then it became support. And when price broke out of this into this, I'm sorry, out of this out of this uh, resistance region, mm -hmm. it made a high here. So that gives me a range until price breaks out of that range. I'm not really interested in what small caps are doing. And if price breaks below this range, then I know, okay, something, uh, maybe small caps are in trouble. But recently, they, I think this week, small caps did very well. You can see that, you know, that gap up from here yeah. to here. So this yeah. could be, it's, it's now price is above the 200 day moving average. Initially, um, the 200 day moving average was acting as a resistance line. Okay. You can see it here. See this? That's resistance. Now price is above. So I'm expecting it to now take out this swing high to break out above. Because there's there seems to be some starting with this week, there seems to be some rotation. I don't want to call it yet, but there seems to be some rotation out of tech into other sectors. Okay. I don't know if you watch the Nasdaq this week. The Nasdaq didn't go anywhere. Tech yeah. in general didn't do any didn't do much. Yeah. So that could be evidence of some rotation. Now that's small caps. This is the QQQ Nasdaq. This is Nasdaq. Hasn't done anything. So this is one, two, three, four, five. So this is this week. Yeah. Had this big red candle on the 13th of July, and th that's Monday, I guess. And then it was flat for the rest of the week. Yeah. So what that is telling me is a lot, of, a lot of investors have made profit and they now see that this NASDAQ is a bit overstretched. Okay. And it's a bit risky to remain here. So they could be reallocating their capital to other sectors that have been beaten down. Okay. And th that's probably why we're seeing IWM and SPY outperforming NASDAQ this week. Okay. Now, last one is SPY. So this is the... This is, these are the 500 large stocks in the stock market. Yeah. What do you make of this chart, this SPY? Because this is mostly what people trade. This is the index for most of these stocks people trade. Most of the stocks, yeah. I mean, it's um, last had the deep in April or March, and then it's, it's gone up. So um, for SPY, it looks like it peaked at some point in middle of June. Is that somewhere there? Middle of June? Is that yeah. this, this 15th of June? Or just before that, two days before, two or three, and then it came down. And okay, you're talking about the top. All right, this yes. island. Then, there was an island reversal or island top here. Okay, okay, yeah, that's what you're talking about. Yes, and then um, there's a slight. People say there's a slight correction. Yes, that's this. Okay, 
and then it tried to go back up again and um and then it, it happened again so it seems like there is a like a window where it's struggling to actually determine what to do next and then it looks like exactly running out of steam a little bit um, in trying to get out of that that channel if yeah well well you never well I would. I, I won't call it under. I won't say that's what's definitely happening, but that's what I'm guessing. Oh yeah, that's what you can see on the chart. Yes, that's what's happening. What you see is what's happening. That's the that's the good thing about looking at charts. You can see exactly what's happening. So you said it's running out of momentum, and that's what this is: consolidation. Mm. Although you have some good movement up, and then it comes down, and then it goes partial rise, bounces, goes back up that's all that's all noise it's just consolidating within a range so what i have positions here so what i'm expecting now is right i want to see price break out so i know this bull run is continuing or if it is weak then you need to break down so we know all right maybe there's a correction or a second leg of the bear market whatever is going on let us know okay yeah, we can't force price to do anything, but this consolidation is it's not helping anybody. No. Yeah. So what about the chart below? The uh, this this is the it's actually the relative momentum index, but it's very very closely related to the RSI. Okay. So this is showing so we we bottomed in March twenty-third, and then there was this uptrend up to this point yeah. so that's a good question actually you see this region here where i drew this horizontal line is very similar to where we are now i have a channel there if i try to make it visible no not that this no not this one this one yeah so if you look at this there is let me remove this this lines i've drawn here remove this and this so what is happening now is what happened previously oh. that is let me make this thicker right so price bottoms here and then we had this uptrend mm -hmm. and then consolidation okay it's trying to it lost some momentum and then for a while it was just oscillating between the top and bottom trend lines inside that channel just gathering momentum and then when it had enough momentum it broke out and then it made its swing high and now again it's consolidating so what I want to see now is continue that wave form. So if you, some people like wave analysis. If you use wave analysis, it looks like we are in, um, so let's say this is wave, where is this wave form? All right, this is wave one. Wave one got to this top. And then this is wave two. 
and then we got wave three and this is wave four so it looks like wave five might be on the way so wave five will take will probably take the s p to a new all-time high okay yeah that's just projection it doesn't have to happen mm. so if you like wave analysis this is not Elliott wave this is using td d wave that's the mark wave analysis okay. that's what it looks like five waves so if you use dow theory this is accumulation this is the rally and then this will lead us to distribution okay and for the for the rsi that is underneath yeah. this is actually a bit worrisome because what that is showing is if you look at the top here we made a high mm -hmm. and we went down and then we did not make a higher high we equaled that swing high okay. but rsi made a high at this point uh -huh. and at this same price level it's making a low so there's a divergence okay yeah there's a divergence between price and the rsi so that rsi could be an indication of what is to come that is the s p might be trending downwards so we might get something like that happening so that's what that that's what i'm reading from that so right. how much weight do you place on the RSI versus what you're seeing up there? In oh, this, this is why I trade the stock market. I'll show you how much weight I put on this tiny little RSI here when I switch to the monthly chart. And then I zoom in, right? See that? This is trending upwards even if the market crashes even if the market crashes this is all we get or this but what happens later it goes up and then we have this small crash here and then it goes up and then we have this then it goes up this is what happened in march that caused a lot of commotion and a lot of people were worried what happened later it went up so now if you if you now try to put this RSI, this is the daily RSI, this one. If you try to put this RSI that is being shown here within the uh, frame of reference of the overall trend of overall trend of the SPY, you realize that this is the monthly chart. That RSI is to a, to an investor. Okay, if you're not trading, if you're investing. Mm. And even if you're trading, if you're a swing trader, you're trading for like, um, I do swing trading, I don't do day trading. If you're a swing trader who has time frames of one week to one month and above, that daily RSI, this one here, this divergence within this frame of reference is nothing. Mm. It's absolutely in is it inconsequential or negligible so the bigger yeah in the bigger picture it's nothing so i'm not even worried about that we have got 
what we have here, yeah, let me go back. So what we have here is the worst that could have happened. And this is it. So now that we're here, what can happen? Maybe we get this, but what happens later goes off. So um, I'm very comfortable with that. Okay. That RSI doesn't bother me at all. It's only useful for those who are trading short term. So maybe short term we have that movement downwards. If we, if we do have a pullback, um, my best guess is, um, okay, let me draw a Fibonacci retracement. So I don't just guess. So this is 100 and that is zero. Right, so using this Fibonacci retracement, my best guess is we pull back down to the 61% Fibonacci level, which is not far away from the 200 day moving average and which is at the same level as that resistance zone. Okay. You see? So, so once my mind is prepared, okay, we're heading back to the bottom of the range. Ah, I'm okay with that. Worst case, so that's best case scenario. Another, a worst case scenario is we retrace down to 50% Fibonacci level, which is the bottom of this second range. So as a swing trader, I'm looking at levels, different levels. So those levels help adjust my expectation. All right, makes sense. Okay, thanks for that. Yeah. And looking at the relative strength of the small caps to the large caps. Like I was saying earlier that they, it looks like there's a rotation out of, out of tech stocks into small caps. Hmm. So whenever this, uh, this chart is trending downwards, it means the small caps are underperforming. Mm -hmm. They're underperforming and the large caps are outperforming. Okay. So we had a period here where small caps uh, have been outperforming. So what that is showing here is, there's a lot of volatility. So here, small caps underperformed and then they outperform, underperform, outperform, underperformed, outperformed, underperformed. And now it looks like it has bottomed here and it has bounced. You see this massive candle here and a gap up. Yeah. Yep. So it looks like small caps might be getting ready to outperform again. That's what that is telling me. So if I, if I want to do what the market looks like it's doing, that is take money out of tech, where do I want to put the money? I want to put it in small caps because it looks, from what I'm seeing on the chart, it looks like small caps are about to go up. Okay. So if I want to put money in small caps, which stocks do I want to put money in? Then I compare, this is relative strength analysis. I'll compare. Okay small caps that are growth stocks, IWO, with small, small caps that are value stocks, IWN. So when this chart goes, overall trend is up, as you can see clearly. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. But when this chart goes up, growth, small caps are outperforming. When it goes down, then value is outperforming. So you can see growth outperformed there, yeah. and then value outperformed. But because of this rotation that I'm seeing, it looks like growth, small caps are about to outperform again. Okay. So time will tell. We'll see. We'll see. Yeah, exactly. We'll see. Can't, can't really predict much, but just have to wait and see. Right. So that takes us to your stocks. So you have identified three stocks. Correct. Square, Jumia, and, you know, I never heard about Healthcare Trust of America until you, you mentioned it. I'll tell you where that came from. Yeah, so let's start with healthcare. Let's, let's, okay, so, yeah, so as part of my work, I'm, I'm a consultant, business consultant with many businesses. And one of the organizers, an asset management firm I work with, um, based in, in, um, in Africa and Nigeria, actually. Um, we've been looking at doing some work together on um, real estate investment trusts, REITs, um, all over the world. And um, so that's how I came to know quite a lot of them. I, I know quite a lot of the REITs now, both UK-based and, of course, the US-based ones seem more, they, they outperformed the UK-based ones. So, like most things, um, in gen for now, I don't know, at least for my, all the work I've done. And, yeah, so that's how come I came across this, and they're one of them. And they seem to be apt for the current situation that we're in. So I did a little bit of analysis around it and I just, you know, it's just, it's an experimental, um, it's getting to know the, that, that sector. If I say, I just came across the sector about three, four months ago. So yeah, so that, that, that's, that's why I'm, uh, that's how come I came across HTA and a few others that I've been looking at. HTA. So I'm looking at the, I want to pull up its financials now. Yeah. I have this template here that shows me, um, no, not this one. Um, it's going to be this template. So, so here I'm looking at their revenue. Yes. Oh no, hold on. I'm looking at a 10 year range. Yeah. Right. 10 years. No. Not that. From 2012 till 2020. So revenue has been on the increase, but um, since 2018, it's been flat. Yes. Not much is going on in terms of revenue since 2018. Pretty much flat. And so when you are picking these stocks, do you look at all these? Um, do you look at financial statements? Do you analyze yes, all that? I do, I do. Um, one of the things with REITs, uh, real estate investment trusts, is uh, the distribution. They need to, in the UK, um, the US won't have different rules, but in the UK, they need to distribute at least 90%. Can, can you move closer to the mic? Uh, of the profit. Oh, sorry, sorry. Yeah. Um, that they, that they, they need to distribute at least 90% of their profits in um in um in to their shareholders in dividends um during the year so that's been one of the things and one of that was one of my remits to some of the work i was doing was to was it was mainly for the cash flow purpose um and so on um and one of the issues i found with a lot of them is that over the last few years they've taken on a lot of debt which has sort of hampered um 
the performance of of uh, the business, or it's made a lot of their revenues a little bit dormant um, and passive. Um, they can't deploy to operational issues. But um, so those are some of the considerations we we made. Uh, we looked at the management and management changes, and um, with EPS and um, that's EPS. Um, and um, for sure, we looked at some of the projections they had and some of the plans they had for the future. And we thought, okay, healthcare, they're going to be so, like I said, it's experimental. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's why we HTA for now because healthcare is going to be more important as we go forward. So, yes, we looked at that and um, we, you, we picked it for a particular. You mentioned debt, the amount of debt. So, this is showing yeah. you HTA's debt. Yes. Since 2012 that they've been racking up a lot of debt. A lot of it. Yeah, that's just going higher and higher. 2.9, well, I don't know what the size is, but net debt for HTA is 2.9 billion. Yeah. 2.9. Let me see. For the, this is what I really don't know. All For the earnings per share, all these kinds of ratios. For the earnings per share, you want higher earnings per share, don't you? Companies want to have a higher EPS rate. I'm guessing they do. I'm guessing they want higher earnings per share. I want to pull up the earnings per share. Let me see. Where is it? Should be in ratios. Uh, Earnings per share. Where is it? Return on equity, EPS. Nope, not that. Total return, not this. You can try return on equity like you saw. You saw uh, which one? You know, we saw return on equity. So, um, where did I can't remember where I found that? Okay, hold on. Earnings before taxes, um, revenues per share. And investment. Okay. Uh, return on equity. Um, return. Okay, this is it. This is it. Okay. Basic, okay. basic earnings per share. Yes. So if I if I choose that, it shows me the earnings per share. So earnings, basic earnings per share. I don't know what basic means. It's been yeah, up. Yeah, yeah, what, been up. Yeah, from 2012, it went up, and then this sharp uptrend in 2018, and it's been falling now for a while. I don't know yeah. what happened to them within this period, June to September 2019, but there was a sharp drop, and for now, it's it's flat. So I, what I know is all these earnings per share, PEG, all those. Uh, metrics, you have to compare companies in the same uh, industry Industry. together, right? So it it might not be that you want 1.4, maybe 0.17 is okay for that industry. I don't know. So I think you kind of compare. Well, so so why why healthcare? In this case, you you can compare healthcare organizations, which is what they are, but in the, in the largest industry is the real estate investment trust. 
Mm. And so they have to actually compete, not just against healthcare All right. companies. They also okay. have to compete in industrial builders, residential investment trusts. They have to compete against, you know, other types of people. That, casinos, that some people are focused only on investing in building casinos. Effectively, they're real estate companies. Just in, if we boil it down, they're real estate companies. They just All right. have to trade given certain conditions. Some focus on certain areas. Some do um, shops and retail malls. Um, some do healthcare. Some do so And some do storage. All the storage companies you see are self firms um, and so on. A lot of them actually cost us real estate investment trusts as right. well. And okay. some have one listed um, on it. So, so, so they're real, they're real estate investment companies. Real estate. All right. I get that. So they have so they have competed against not just and then so you take a look at what's happening in the real estate sector and take a look at uh, deployment of capital accessibility all that um, in their field and then you i think from that and there's been a lot of debt going around i guess that it's a debt i think is one of the bigger issues that are that are plaguing that industry at the moment and less less capital is actually being deployed to the operational or capital building. It's more deployed now to servicing um, hangover debts that people are carrying. Okay. So, so right. we'll see. I don't know. I mean, like I said, it's experimental. Yeah, of course. Um, yeah, so. yeah, nothing wrong with that. That's, that's how it works. Now I'm looking at their, I'm looking at the charts. Yes. So, so like most companies, the share price, you know, plummeted in March. And then it tried to rally, but looking at the most recent performance, you can see there's a, it formed a swing high here, broke above the 200 day moving average. Yeah. And then it pulled back, it formed a lower high. This is short term now, this is not for investors, this is for traders. Correct. Formed a lower high, then pulled back again, formed another lower high. So that, gives me a downtrend like that yeah. and then it formed uh let's say it began from here the uptrend began here it formed a lower low and another low okay another lower low here so you have a series of lower highs and lower lows that results in a falling wedge okay falling wedge should break out to the upside. So short term, this might be going up. And you can see it has already broken out. See that candle? Mm. Yeah, it broke out on Friday. So not only has it broken out, its price is now above the cloud. So the cloud is like an equilibrium point. So above the cloud, you have, um, you have uh, bulls dominating. Below the cloud, you have bears dominating. I see. So this is... Short term, this is good. And if that um, theory of rotation out of tech is true, you could see some capital flowing into this sector and these kinds of stocks. So there could be a period of um, uh, outperformance about to begin. Right, so that's HTA. The next one is Jumia, you know, I discovered this stock <laughs> last week. Okay. 
And when I saw it, I said, what? It sounds familiar. Jumia sounds like a Nigerian uh, marketplace. Mm-hmm. And then I went and checked what Jumia was. And I realized Jumia is operating in Africa, but it's foreign owned. Are you familiar with Jumia? Yes. I mean, I, um, hmm. when the first went to Nigeria, I was, um, I was here then, or still anyway, but I spoke to a few of when the guys in Germany, so they've put a fund together. Um, the German government back was the German government back fund that they and they got a few of the German banks, Deutsche and a few of the other, um, a few Swiss banks actually, and Australian banks that came together and the Rocket International guys. And I used to have a lot of conversations with them when they were trying to work in Nigeria and all the sales. So, of course, we all know, we all know that um, they had a lot of issues for many years trying to, a year, fast forward, that said that they had spent over a billion dollars and mm-hmm. still that never made profit over like an eight or nine year period. And they were closing offices in certain countries that they felt were not very lucrative. So, um, but I knew they listed on the NAS, um, on the stock exchange, I'm not sure which one, on stock exchange a few years ago. And um, so, um, I think now maybe, and then they set up a payment processing arm because they were to, like you said, marketplace, retail, delivery, and then travel. They did travel hotels. They had a lot of things in, um, around hotels because I used to speak to the CEO of the hotel group. He was someone oh. I knew and had and so on. And so I knew them to that level. I knew the first, there were two co-CEOs, the first two CEOs. One of them was that we actually became friends um, shortly after he was CEO, and then he had to leave after two or three years, given all the issues and they were having. I know the head of a, one of the outsourcing firms that were trying to revamp them at some point. So I sort of have been around Jimmy for a while. But like you, if I'm honest, I didn't really track their progress on any stock exchange. I didn't try to see how they were doing or anything. I just thought it was one of these were listing in New York type things, and it was mm-hmm. for PR purposes. And so last few weeks, I just, I heard about it somewhere. I can't remember. I was reading some tarot. And then I watched it, and you brought it up again. You were like the third person in about a short period I'll talk about them. And then I went and looked at them, and I was quite fascinated by them. And I thought, okay, they're worth keeping an eye on. And that's why I put them on the list so we could talk about it. Right. Jimmy, so what's your take? What's your take on Jimmy? Um, I, all I want to know is, this is, this is, I don't know much about Jumia, but I called someone in Nigeria and I said, hey, have you ever shopped on Jumia? He said, oh, yeah, Jumia is fantastic. I love it. Everybody shops on Jumia. And I said, huh, really? So how do they operate? And he began to tell me, and they have a competitor called Konga. And yeah. It's Jumia versus Konga in Nigeria. Said there are some differences, but things are cheaper on Jumia. So that was a positive. If things are cheaper on Jumia, people might shop <laughs> on Jumia. Then I yeah. watched some videos, and somebody said Jumia is because Jumia is in many countries in Africa. There was, I think, this guy was referring to the Kenyan one. He said Jumia is a rubbish company. It's going down. He's going to mm-hmm. short it. It's going to be. It's not the <laughs> African Amazon. He said mm-hmm. he quoted a statistic about Jumia that says i think 64 percent of their deliveries are i can't remember the 
industry term, but 64% of their deliveries fail. Okay. And okay. I thought, wow, can you imagine 64%? Can you imagine 64% of Amazon's delivery failing? Mm. Mm. I thought that was a big deal for a company that wants to be a, an online marketplace. Mm. And then I watched more videos and I watched a video. The guy who did the previous video was from the U.S. Okay. He has, uh, he's originally from Kenya, but he was in the U.S. So he was just looking from the outside. Although he called family in Kenya and talked to them. Then I watched another video of a of one of the sellers on, uh, on Jumia. And he was, he was going on this rant and he was complaining about uh, the customers, that customers will go on Jumia, they will order items. And because you know, the, the environment is different in, the, in, in this part of the world, you pay online, your goods are delivered to you. Mm-hmm. So he was explaining that in Africa, you pay on delivery. Payment on delivery. Yeah, yeah, so you're not giving your payment online. So you, you go online, you find what you want, put it in your basket, and then you order it. Then the company delivers to you, then you pay. So he was now saying, because he's a seller, he has items he sells. He was now complaining that a lot of people, I don't know, maybe because online shopping is new, or maybe some people are not familiar with it. A lot of people go online to Jumia, and they shop and they order. And then when it's being delivered, the deliverers are calling, you know, you call them to find out if they're home so you can meet them at home. So they call them, where are you? I'm delivering your item in 15 minutes, no answer. And then the person delivering gets to the person's home, knocks on the door, nobody answers. Nobody. So he was now <laughs> saying that these people are ordering, they're shopping for fun, even though they don't have money to pay. And it's very common. So people will buy items or other items that they don't intend to pay for. Hmm. So a lot of deliveries were failing, not because they were not delivered, but because the shoppers were not serious. Hmm. So I was now seeing this different perspective. I think I go with the later one. So maybe the company is actually, um, the company understands the environment and it's, well suited to meet the needs of the customers but the customers are not serious so if that's the case then the fact that they are there already means they can only get better and they can understand the customers more and they can find solutions to the problem so i think what they have is first mover advantage so they are there now they are weathering the storm they're passing through all these challenges. So it might help them eventually understand the environment better than anybody who wants to come in as a new entrant. And who knows, maybe it's the new Amazon. So I have some small positions in Jumia. So Mm. it's very possible if this is the next Amazon, who knows, I don't know. (laughs) No, no, seriously. The the future of shopping is I'm hoping they are. Yes, it is. Like you say, they have to adjust to the local environment. Um, um, one of the guys in the industry, the top guy, is a personal friend of mine, and oh, guys, three guys have set it up, and 
you remember, we had a conversation about this when they were about to start segmenting. Gmail is about to start segmenting delivery. Um, and um, it's one of the, those numbers might be right in terms of not being able to deliver to 64% of, of the order or the other of the orders but what do you do it's um we know, i didn't know if you grew up in nigeria hold, hold on a second your, your audio is your audio is breaking out nine or thirty or so can you try and to... i know that environment can be really tough if you don't adapt in a way to do it so they are finding ways they have very different ways of making payments they, they also try to do the Pick up from the net. Can I just sorry? Okay, yeah, I don't um, know what's really going on. Um, I think my my connection is not great. Sorry, is it better now? Um, uh, is I, it better now? Is it is it working now? Yeah, it's a bit better now. Is, is the audio better now? A bit, yes, yes. Go on, go on. Hello, can you hear me now? Yes, I can hear you. Belly, no, let's carry the noise. All right. Let's, so, let's go on to the next. Let's go to the next. Two. All right. Um, I'll move on no, to. Let's say it's going to get what? better. And okay, they, they've been around for about eight, ten years or so, and so on. So hopefully they, they just get better, and let's. All right. I, I was just taking a look at their revenues. So. Okay. Revenues were flat for a while in 2019. They don't have much data. I don't know. I think Jumia is, well, IPO'd in yeah, 2019. Okay, so that makes sense. After IPO, revenues were flat, and then it picked up in September to December, and it's been down since. So revenues are tanking temporarily. Uh, gross profit. Profit is actually, gross profit is actually trending upwards. Okay. Yeah, so it's, maybe they're profitable. I don't know. What's, I, I, just, I don't really know all about gross profit, net profit, profit margin. But mm. as long as it sounds like profit, <laughs> looks like it's good. Yeah, yeah so it's trending so upwards. the line, gross profit. Like they say, so stop that before all your deductions come in. So gross profit is your profit before um, after cost. So you have revenue and cost. So cost is things that you can create like the products or and so on. So this number gives you and gives you know, operational, you can operating profit like. They're not the same, but like close to, which is yeah, this number, top line number. Um, this is what we need, and then you start putting all the deductions of staff costs and um, delivery costs. Okay. Also fundamental. It depends on how they cut it, how they prepare their accounts. So does it like mean? Say, does it up and down? Does it mean after those deductions, they could? end up in the loss yes definitely, definitely oh right so gross profit is not a good uh, indicator then no it's a well to starting point okay it's better you're up than yeah, yeah. 
All right. So it's not the only indicator. There should be something um, um, somewhere. I can't see. Um, oh, no, I'm not showing all of them. I only picked I can't some. See, I can't see a lot of these. Yeah. No, I mean, the thing most work really I want to watch, if nothing else. Uh, from that side of the world, just to watch and see how the computer had similar issues because of the environment. Uh, and I know Conga has done a lot of, again, like Jimmy, there's a lot of by um, uh, acquisition, they were acquired by someone, sold by someone. The debts were racking up on the event they had to hand over there. Um, um, I think Conga was eventually sold for debt loss for $1 or something. Hmm. And from the guy that actually set it up uh, to, to um, a consortium, and so on. So, it's a challenging environment like we know. It's not easy. It's 100 million people, and um, Africa, a billion people, one point eight. But the challenges are severe, and you have to be ready for the battle. Sure, sure. That's, that's for sure. And the, f the fact that they're there and they're operating means. So maybe we should go on to the next one. Or what are you looking at? Are you looking at. Uh, oh, I'm looking at the, um, the short interest in Jumia. There's a lot of, they're 18% of Jumia's okay. <laughs> outstanding shares are used for shorting Jumia. So the short okay. interest is a bit high. A lot of people don't believe, well, some people don't believe in Jumia, so they are shorting the stock. Okay. That's what that means. Right, next one is Square. Square, where's Square? I don't know, something's, all right, log, that's why. So this is Square. Uh, that's, mm. the, that's the, I'm familiar with Square. I know okay. they're a payment, take, payment take the, provider or something like that. Yeah. yeah. So Square, if I look at Square here, Square is, what is Square? Square, Square provides, uh, payment and point of sale solutions in the US and internationally. Okay. It has point of sale software and hardware. It offers sellers to payment and point of sale solutions. It provides hardware, including mag stripe reader. It enables swipe transactions of magnetic stripe cards, contactless and chip reader that accept Europay, MasterCard, Visa, ETC. And its competitors are Visa, MasterCard, IBM, and PayPal. Wow, good luck with that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's competing with large, large companies. And it's quite small, 53 billion market cap. Well, it's it's owned by Jack Dorsey, Twitter guy. Oh, yeah, 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 Jack Dorsey. He owns it outright. Well, it's a public company. Well, uh, it's a public company now, yeah. but he set it up. Um, right. he, you know, he left Twitter briefly. And yes. then when he left Twitter, he set up Square and he still holds. So oh, okay. he's, 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 he runs both at the moment. So he came back to Twitter, but still, still on Square. All right. Okay. I get that. So 
Square is looking like um, one of the stocks, you know, there, there are a group of stocks that are referred to as the pandemic winners. Those are okay. the stocks that after the sell-off, they benefited from the lockdown. Mm-hmm. So in this category, you have Amazon, Netflix, Facebook. But I don't see, now I'm drawing that conclusion based on this performance. But I don't see how Square would benefit from the pandemic. Right? Nobody is shopping, nobody is going out. <laughs> so what, is, what I'm wondering now is what is making Square perform so well from okay. March till now it looks very incredible it looks like so square is if you look at um, shopify if you look at wix if you look at etsy the graphs are similar um, the the charts are similar Um, square has a you know like a shopify type interface as well okay this is shopify you actually where you actually can actually create a small online shop shopping platform for yourself and so on and so they also have that interface a similar one okay which helps them acquire small small customers or people trying to and they also work with big retailers trying to go online to to challenge um to to get to um to get online effectively so those are i think sometimes that that is an additional benefit to them Mm-hmm. Um, and um, then they offer them their payment system. Uh, wow. Uh, so maybe that's what's been happening during the pandemic. Yeah. Said, you know, for what, what was this? Weeks. You're looking at weeks now. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, no, what you said makes sense. The graphs are quite steep. Square, Shopify, weeks, they just look identical. Anyway, yeah, it's still a lot of sense. So, I mean, so that's why. I just quit because of all of them, like you said, small cap. I need to have its tumbles and people struggle with square. People say there's no real clear direction with what mm-hmm. because I think it's sharing jobs, you know. So there's a lot of criticism around compared to Shopify, which is valued at I think currently around a thousand dollars per share or something. A lot of people were saying, Oh, why is Square is not doing as well as Shopify? And I'm like, but they're not the same in a way. Um, and um, they, they, their um, roots market seem different. They go with payment first, and then you can come on board as an e-commerce trader or e-commerce um, um, retailer. Um, so, but Shopify seems to be the other way around. They were going um, obviously with e-commerce trading first, and then. You can come on board with payment, so they have a Shopify um, um, payment system and checkout and all that that they do now. So it's quite interesting to see what's happening with those companies. So Square is this one. I, I have a look at times in Square, just out of my interest as well. So we'll all right. See. So what I'm looking what, at what now. What are your thoughts? What? Oh, what I, I. What do you take on Square? I have a broad view of of Square and that sector. What I am looking at is that sector. So that payment sector, that tech sector is, let me see, what sector is Square in? How do I even check this? Um, hold on. 
what sector is square in financial hold on security snapshot mm, not sure how i can look at this but i know it's in the it's it's tech and it's payment yeah so that yeah. that entire sector is is outperforming so i'm not looking at individual companies but okay one way to draw that conclusion is you look at their charts and when you see performance like this you know all right this sector is outperforming they're definitely outperforming the s&p s&p so square weeks shopify um what else should i put there maybe salesforce i don't know if it falls up there so all uh, those i think paypal right paypal should be there paypal yeah so i think um, that's the technology sector is has been the best performer so far and then that subsector of payments is also doing very well so that's so i have a like a top down view i don't really know the okay. details of the performances of these companies uh, on a one to one basis but if i look at their financial statements look at their revenue mm. you see that that's a steep beautiful curve to the upside yeah and if i look at their net income steady growth and then uh, gross profit, beautiful line. Right, so the right. company is doing well. The company is doing so well. If I look at its uh, debt, debt is declining. It was flat for a while, went up flat and then declined. Okay, and this is actually this is over a five year period. Maybe I should look long term. If I look at 10 years, hold on. If I put it to 10 years, oh yeah, that's, it's actually 10 years. Okay. 2015, no, that's five years. I think they listed, maybe they, I think they just listed, oh, you have all the information pre-listing as well, I guess. Oh, I think, yes, you're right. Square is a young company. It's a young company. Yeah. Right, that's why, that's why, okay. I so, think... I think Shopify might be much than I did the oldest of them, or even weeks. I'm not sure which of them is older. Okay. I mean, this is young, much younger than overall. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So, yeah. if I look at its relative strength against the S&P, it has been outperforming the S&P consistently from 2016, outperformance, and then for a brief period, 2018 it underperformed and now again it's outperforming because of that pandemic so so it's a great company to be in and short interest is just six percent so just six percent of its shares are used for short selling so that's 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 a good company right so uh next thing i want to do is look at market breadth if you're still okay with hanging around fine if you feel uh, just one question on this kind of square and something. Do you think when oh, uh, when a founders associated with other businesses, do you think it affects how people see 
or like square being associated with Twitter, whether we like it or not, right? Do you think that is a bad thing? Because he Jack also gets a lot of criticism online that I see, and I don't see the basis for it, but a lot of people just criticize him. So I'm thinking, are they looking at Twitter and using that view? I don't know. What do you think? They're definitely not criticizing him for Square's performance. It's, it's because of Twitter. Twitter is used worldwide. It's always in the news. Donald Trump uses Twitter. A lot of political arguments and disagreements mm. take place on Twitter. So that platform itself, and I don't even follow politics, but there's a, there's a struggle between conservatives and uh, liberals. I shouldn't call them liberals, okay. like lefts leaning people on Twitter. So Twitter mm. tends towards the left and they, they are deplatforming people, they are shadow banning conservatives, they are kicking people off, off the platform. So all of that is giving it a, a, some sort of negative press in the eyes of some people. Okay. So that, all that negativity is rubbing off on Jack Dorsey. Mm. And people now use the fact that, let me see, how is Twitter even performing? Twitter is not doing so great. So when your platform is a source of strife and a lot of arguments and fighting and lots of controversies surrounding your platform, Donald Trump is on your platform, is making statements people don't like, and your company's share price is doing that and you're running another company and then you decide to move to Africa. I think he moved to Africa, didn't he? He said he would have. <laughs> yeah, so, <laughs> yeah. so he's, not, he's not helping matters. So this, the share price isn't doing well. Mm-hmm. You are, your time is divided. So Twitter, Twitter doesn't have your undivided attention. You're, you're paying attention to two different companies. And then you say you're, you're going to have, so all of that is why he gets criticized. It's not, it's not that you can't run two companies. You can run two companies. Elon Musk is running four companies. Many, many companies, yeah. yeah. And if you look at Tesla, if you look at Tesla, Tesla is the talk of the town. See that? Your share price is doing, he gets criticized too. But yeah. look at his share price. And then he's running SpaceX. <laughs> Everybody loves SpaceX. They just had a successful launch. And then he's running the boring company that people are just like, what is this company all about? So, and he's always in the news. He knows how to use Twitter. He's, he knows how to put himself in the midst of the conversation that is being had. So Jack Dorsey is really, he's not managing the He's not managing his, um, his, should I say, image or profile properly. That's why he gets criticized. Okay. Yeah. So like I was saying, um, moving on to market growth. If you, if you have to, to bail, that's okay. Yeah. If you want to stay and watch. I'm okay. Because your, your right, audio, I was my microphone from here. Your audio is not really good. I can't really hear some of the things you're saying, but I can. I'm struggling to hear. So if you so if you want to watch, that's fine. 
Okay. Oh, I can't hear you now. Did you mute yourself or what? Yeah, I muted. Sorry, I'm happy to watch. That's All right. I'm happy okay. to watch. So I'm moving on to market breadth. The thing about technical analysis is you can, or the thing, the thing about the stock market is you can, you can get an inside look at what is happening with the stocks, the individual stocks, individually and as a whole, and then that can help you trade the S&P. You can't really do that with commodities, although you can get fundamental information, but it's so difficult. So with this, uh, I have this S&P chart here. We, price has not been able to form a higher high, so it's just flat. But if I now take a look at the advanced decline line, that is how are stocks within the S&P performing? Are they advancing? That is, are they increasing or are they declining, decreasing in value or price? I can now break that down into large caps, mid caps, and small caps. So if I look at this, I can see advanced decline line of large caps has formed a higher high. So that means it's trending upwards. So those large caps, um, Microsoft, Google, Apple, they're all advancing. That is good because those, that group of stocks can literally pull up the, the index. So that is a good sign. If I move on to the mid caps, mid caps are struggling. Okay, it's, it's trending downwards, but I can just say that it's flat. So they're not really advancing there. And you can see that from here. If you look at, let me just go back to this watch list. Yeah, if you look at the S&P, it's flat. It's not going anywhere. So the little uptrend we have is due to these large caps. That's what that is telling me. Mid caps are struggling. Small caps negative trend so it's trending downwards when the large caps form the new high a high high small caps couldn't make a high high so that's that's some insight so we're advancing but it's only large caps that are advancing mid caps are flat small caps are declining the next um, way to view market breadth is what percentage of stocks within the S&P 500 are above their 200-day moving average. Now, this is so important. If you go back, I have a chart of the S&P from 2006 to date. If you remember that, um, that bear market from 2008 to 2009, you will notice that it bottomed here and that coincides with this part of, the, uh, of this indicator here. So when, when the number of stocks having their price above the 200-day moving average was about let me say, I can't see clearly, but about 3% of the index. That was when the market bottomed. 
So you can use this to time the market or you can use it to call the bottom. It's very, very, very effective. So when 98% of stocks were below their 200 day moving average, the S&P bottomed in 2009. That's this patch here. And then if you fast forward to 2020, after that decline, when 92% of stocks were below their 200 day moving average, that was when the S&P bottomed again. So this is very useful in calling the bottom. It's also very useful in gauging where the stock market is in terms of, is it, a, is it a bullish or bearish? Right now, we have 53% of stocks in the S&P above their 200-day moving average. So that is a good sign. In, a, in an environment like that, I want to be buying, not shorting. I want to be in the market when 53% of stocks are above the 200-day moving average. And it's the same for the NASDAQ. I can do the same for the NASDAQ exchange. So right now, 52% of stocks listed on the NASDAQ are above their 200-day moving average. That's very positive. And for the New York Stock Exchange, just 39 so this is enough, enough um, reason to stay in the market, to stay bullish, although a lot of people are calling for a downtrend. This market breadth indicator gives me reason to stay in the market. Next one is the net new high, new lows in the market. So what this is showing is the difference between the number of stocks in the S&P that have formed a new 52-week high and stocks that have formed a new 52-week low. So right now, there are more stocks forming new highs than new lows in the S&P. So that difference is 40. For the NASDAQ, it's even more because NASDAQ has been outperforming. And for the New York Stock Exchange, 80. So all these indicators are pointing towards staying in the market. Doesn't mean you should buy or allocate more capital. It's simply saying, you know what, just keep what you have and ride the trend. Sentiment is not a major part of, well, it's, it's more like an anecdotal part of analysis. But what is interesting here is there's this survey that is carried out. The, um, what's this full thing, full meaning now? AAII, I think that's the American, American Association of Individual Investors. Yeah, that's what it means, AAII. So this survey is carried out, I think, weekly. I'm not so sure about that. And it tries to find out how many of these individual investors are bullish or bearish? And right now it's saying that most of them are bearish. So despite this recovery, a lot of them are still bearish. It doesn't really say where they're putting their money. It's just a survey of their opinion. So a lot of them are bearish. If that is an indication of where they're putting their money, 
what happens when they allocate all that money to the stock market and they start buying. So there could be another wave of buying coming if this is anything to go by. And then this one is the NAAIM. I think this is National Association of Active, Active, uh, I think that's Active Investment Managers, people who are managing money for others. So when this is down, it means they are bearish and when it's up, they're bullish. So this is March of 2020 when they were bearish. And then during the recovery, most of them are now bullish. So when it gets to a top, it's a, it means the market is about to turn down. So those are two ways to gauge market sentiment. And then moving on to the performance of the different sectors. This week, this is, this, this is like a confirmation of what I was saying about sector rotation. Last week, and at least so far since the recovery, the tech sector has been the best performing sector. But this week, the industrial sector was the best performer. And you can see that in the percent change. The worst performing sector this week was technology. And that's where you have all these PayPal, Square, um, Amazon. And you can see that in the, gra in the chart. This is NASDAQ, flat, small caps, gapped up, SPY, rallied to the top of this range. So this could be evidence of sector rotation. Now, if, if I want to get the most out of that sector rotation, where should I be allocating my capital? It's not in technology because if there's sector rotation going on, then money is leaving technology and that money going by this week's performance has gone into the industrial sector and the material sector. Okay, money has gone into industrial sector. Which subsector of the industrial sector has it gone into? It has gone into the railroad subsector, which is... Funny, you hardly hear anybody saying, oh, they want to invest in railroads. So railroads is the best performing subsector in the industrial sector. And then the next one is commercial vehicles and trucks. Um, the performances are pretty close. And then building materials and fixtures and can ignore the others. Now, if railroad is the best performing subsector in the best performing sector, which stock? is the best performer in railroad sector, subsector. It's this KSU, Kansas City Southern Corporation. So if I want to take advantage of that rotation of funds out of tech, then I want to buy KSU. It's not one of those sexy stocks, but going by performance, it's the best performer in the best performing subsector in the best performing sector. So this is a chart bottomed here, rallied, pulled back, rallied again, and now it's pulling back in the form of a falling wedge. And now it's broken out. 
So this is that week, Friday, Monday to Friday. So that's where that performance is coming from. Kansas City Southern Corporation and this one, Norfolk Southern Corporation. So I'll go for KSU. The second best performance sector is the materials sector. Click in there. The best performance subsector is aluminum. Click in there to find the stock. Alcoa Corporation. Let me see what's Alcoa AA. Where is my chart? I'm going to remove all of this. So AA. Mm. So what seems to be going on is money is rotating out of tech stocks which have completely outperformed all other sectors. And it seems money is moving into all these stocks that have been beaten down. See, this is this stock was already failing before coronavirus hit. This is coronavirus uh, sell-off, and then it could hardly rally, and then it managed to rally, and then it consolidated, and now it's breaking out. So it seems people are just looking for cheap stocks to you know, allocate their capital. So that's the best performer in the material section, sector. So that is sector rotation. And you can view that relative performance of all the sectors using this relative rotation graph. Let me just increase this. Yeah, so this is over the past week. If I animate this, you'll see how the different sectors are rotating using the S&P as the reference point. XLK. So the further to the right, the greater the relative strength compared to the S&P. And the higher up it is, the greater the momentum. That momentum is simply the rate of change of the relative strength. So XLB materials is crossing from the improving quadrant to the leading quadrant. Let me view that again. So this is XLB. It moved down into lagging and then made its way back into improving and now it's crossing into leading. And then industrials. Industrials was lagging, was in leading for a brief moment, lagging and then back into improving. So this is the best place, this quadrant improving is the best place to find sectors or stocks that I want to invest in because they are improving and they can only move further to the right into the leading quadrant.